Appreciate the praise team singing. Aren't they the best praise team on the East Coast? I mean to tell you, I appreciate that so very much. It's good to see you. If you're glad to be in the house of the Lord, give the Lord a hearty amen. Amen. Good to see you. Praise the Lord. And uh, we're just uh, asking God to minister to our hearts this morning as we come into this place to worship him. I always enjoy the praise team when they sing uh, and they just point us to Jesus. And, uh, I, you know, I, I grew up in a very traditional church where we always sang out of hymn books and we were always looking down, reading words. But what I like about this church is that we can always look up and just worship the Lord. Amen. And we don't have to look downward, but we can look upward and praise his name. And I love the freedom. In fact, I remember as a kid growing up, if you said amen, somebody would look at you like, shh, you're wrecking the service. You know, I like to be in church where people just shout amen. Just, uh, just let it out. Praise his name because my faith is real to me. It's not, it's not a religious uh, dead experience. It is a time to worship and to praise his name. So God's good, isn't he? Y'all look good this morning. Y'all look so dressed up and so pretty. I was trying to think, what is it? And I thought, oh, some of you guys even look the best I've ever seen you. I thought, oh, it's Valentine's week. That's what it is. You guys are, y'all look sniffy and look good, man. All right, good to see you in church. So I want you to look with me in John chapter 21, verse 15 and 17, because it's Valentine's week, I thought about been praying about a, a love scripture, and uh, there's no greater story about love than the relationship between Jesus Christ and Peter. And as you well know, there's a lot there that Jesus had to address into Peter's life. And one of the things that Jesus does in John chapter 21, verse 15 through 17, and that is this interrogation of, on Jesus' part into the life of Peter. And this is what Jesus says in verse 15. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time, Jesus asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. This is a very interesting dialogue. A lot of theologians, oh, they got a lot to say about this and that. But there's so much packed into here. And sometimes if you go too detailed, you miss the big points that Jesus was trying to address. Now, obviously, this week is Valentine's Day. It's a day we set aside to express our love, especially to the people in our life who we treasure, the people that we love. And in a world of hate and dissension, animosity and hostility and disunity, we see it all the time. It is refreshing to celebrate the expression of love with one another. It is refreshing. 
Every time I go into a store and I see red hearts and, and the emphasis of love, I'm thinking, Lord knows we, we need a lot of this. I, I, I chose this text in John 21 this morning because it is a critical message of genuine, unconditional love. It is a love that we need to embrace. It's a love that we need to understand a love that needs to transform us into the, the people that God wants us to be. And, and, and it is a biblical fact that true love has always existed in the heart of God long before the first man was ever created. In fact, love has always been the enduring virtue in the heart and the very character of God. And may I make this dogmatic statement. Without God, we would never know anything about love. Because the Bible says in 1 John 4, 8, that God is love. He is the very source of love. He is the very essence of love. In fact, the Bible says that God personifies love. We as humans, we try our best to express love, but we find it difficult because without the power of the Holy Spirit, without the move of the Holy Spirit, and without God pouring his love in us, we are inept. We are unable to express love because our sinful nature is bankrupt with the issue of love. But rather, when we come to know God and we open our hearts to God, he fills us with his grace and his unconditional love. In, in fact, if, if, if it has anything to do with God in life, it has to do with love. Anything dealing with God has to deal with love. In fact, mercy is God's forgiving love. Grace is God's undeserved love. Peace is God's comforting love. The will of God is God's unerring love. Providence is God's caring love. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is God's proven love. Sanctification is God's nurturing love. Heaven is God's rewarding love. And eternity is God's unending love. If it has anything to do with, with, with God, it has everything to do with love. If you could take the Bible and bring it down to one word, it would come to this one word, and that is love. God is love. In fact, John 3, 16, the, the hub verse of the Bible says, For God so loved the world, which is a remarkable verse, not only in terms of how big the world is, but how bad the world is. In fact, the world is so bad that 1 John 2.15 commands us not to love the world, neither are we supposed to love the things that are in the world. In fact, yet the same writer who said the world is so bad tells us that the Father of Jesus Christ loves the world despite of its corruption and wickedness and sinfulness. Think about that in personal terms. There are people who love and respect you, but if they knew certain things about you, they would change their minds about you. 
But the most amazing thing about it is, but God knows everything about you there is to know, yet God loves you anyway. And this is the true basis of self-esteem, and that is God loves us just the way we are, and he desires to transform us into his son, Jesus Christ. If you need to know anything this morning, you need to know that God loves you. And you need to be reminded, you think you're hiding things from God. He's got this x-ray vision. He knows everything about you. And yet he loves us. Martin Luther, who started the Great Reformation, said, God does not love us because we are valuable. We are valuable because God loves us. I love our story in our text about Jesus and Peter. In order to understand the chemistry between the love relationship between Jesus and Peter, we've got to look at the background of Peter's life. Jesus saw Peter and he called him as a fisherman to become a follower of him. And in the process of time, Peter became a devoted, faithful follower of Jesus Christ. In a very short time, Peter became one of the the top dogs, one of the great leaders of the 12 disciples. And it wasn't long before Peter began to feel proud and confident. And uh, in his own nature, he had this tendency to be a know-it-all. And he became proud. And then Jesus tried to prepare his disciples about his, uh, his soon coming death on the cross. And it was Peter who stood up and said, you'll not die under my watch, basically. And if you do die, I will go to prison with you and I'll die with you. He was big and bad and bold and proud. But the Lord warned Peter of his pride. And when he was boasting of his own strength and his self-will to be able to stand for Jesus, Jesus warned him and said, Peter, Peter, look out because Satan desires to sift you like wheat. Jesus warned him. Jesus says, by the way, Peter, before the, the rooster crows three times, you will have denied me before the sun comes up. Then Peter was deeply grieved when that prophecy came true. The very man who prided himself on being a man's man and he was going to be able to stand for Jesus fell flat on his face in a time of fierce temptation. He denied the Lord. Not only did he deny the Lord, he kind of went back to his old life. He started cursing and swearing Publicly, openly, he denied the Lord. And this backsliding was so dramatic and so fast that, 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 that it took Peter over the deep end. And, and he failed the Lord miserably, and his sinful nature came over him like a titanic tsunami. He fell. Because of this devastating blow of failure, It wounded Peter so deep that he coiled back from following Christ altogether. He quit. He had the mindset like we do in the 21st century. If you can't do something right, don't do it at all. So as far as his mind was concerned, 
He failed, therefore he left it all. With shame and defeat and embarrassment and extreme guilt, Peter decided to go back to his old career of fishing. Having feelings of worthlessness, deeply disappointed with himself, he walked away deflated and in total disillusionment of his own strength and ability. Peter had miserably failed the Lord. And in his mind, he probably thought the Lord had said, enough of you, you proved to be yourself a fraud. But after the horrific crucifixion of Jesus, after he was impaled to a cross, he died on the cross, Jesus was buried, and I'm sure Peter heard about the whole scenario. In his shame and brokenness, Jesus died alone. Three days later, Jesus arose from the grave, and Peter was one of the first men who Jesus sought to restore. I was reading the scripture. In fact, I love the book of Mark. I preach a lot out of Mark. Mark 16, the the angel speaks to three women who are coming to put spices on the body of Jesus. And they come early that morning and they're, they're, they're going into the tomb and, and there's this angel of God, this brilliant angel. And the angel says in Mark 16, 7, now go tell his disciples. And then he says this, including Peter. He singles out all 12 of the men, and he brings out Peter's name, including Peter, that Jesus has risen from the grave, and he has gone before them in Galilee. I read that, and I thought to myself, Jesus personally sought after Peter to resurrect his love for him. Jesus could have said, enough of him. He, he had his moment to prove himself, but he failed He he, he folded when I needed him the most. He failed. God could have walked away from him, but Jesus, because of his great love for Peter, was able to look beyond his fault and see his need. Jesus, let me share something with you. I have failed. You have failed. Even when we have colossally messed up in our life, Jesus loves us no matter what because he loves us unconditionally. Jesus personally sought after Peter to resurrect his love for him. Peter is now on the run. He's out on the sea and he's fishing. And I'm sure he is totally depressed, filled with feelings of futility, He feels he's lost his relationship with Christ. He's depressed because he's gone from fishing with men or fishing for men to now fishing for insignificant, smelly fish. He went from an exciting life of walking with Jesus to the the humdrum of catching nothing at sea. He went from seeing amazing miracles of people rising from the dead to seeing now depressing empty nets. His life had taken a spiral downward. He's out on the choppy sea. And to make matters worse, the Bible says they were out there and they fished all night. They didn't catch a thing. It is a futile thing to run from God. It is a futile thing 
to try to serve him when you disconnect from him. But now the resurrected Christ seeks after Peter. Jesus still cares after we mess up. He still cares about the loss and the deficiencies of our life. He cares enough to even know when we're hungry and when we're drawing empty nets and when things are not working. He cares. And on the seashore, Jesus looks out and he sees Peter and the seven other, the other, seven other disciples out there fishing and they're, they're kind of lost in their spirit. And Jesus makes a campfire to host a fish barbecue and he, he puts some bread out there and he, he provides a place of nourishment. He provides a place of rest. He pr provides a place of restoration for his fallen disciples. And he calls out to, the, to Peter and to the rest of the disciples who were experiencing devastating feelings of depression. And he calls out to them, children, have you caught anything? And obviously, the painful answer was no. John 21, 4 and 5 says this, At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. And he called out, Fellas, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. They had no idea who this person was who had provided this great barbecue. And then they hear the advice of this stranger on the seashore that says, by the way, cast your net to the right side of the boat. As soon as they heard that, they knew it was their resurrected master. The Bible says that Peter being such a broken man, to see Jesus entreat him with such grace and with such mercy, not with rejection, not with a bad attitude, but Jesus entreated him with love. And Peter realized, the Bible says, he was so excited to receive the mercy of God that the Bible says that he was fishing and he was naked or he had just some old fisher clothes. The Bible says he wrapped his cloak around himself and he jumped into the sea and he swam to shore because Peter knew this, that he needed the Lord in his life more than anything in life itself. Jesus lovingly serves, this is amazing to me, the one who the disciples had deserted, deserted. Here Jesus gives the, the disciples who had deserted him, he gives them bread, he gives them fish to eat, and he cares for their needs. And then he begins, after the breakfast is over, he doesn't pull Peter aside, but rather publicly he begins to ask questions to Peter. His whole purpose was to resurrect Peter's love for him. This morning we're going to examine those three questions that give us a lesson on how we can receive a resurrected love for Jesus. Someone says, what is the greatest need at Crossroads? The greatest need at Crossroads is that the Crossroads members would be totally 
obsessed and in love with Jesus Christ. Amen. He. Amen. Give the Lord a hand. There are three areas. There are three reasons why and how Jesus went for the heart of Peter. Number one, I put this down, a restored love has to move us past our shame and unworthiness. I love what he says in verse 15. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told them. You see, Peter had a hard time looking into the face of Jesus because of his shame. He pulled away because of his own embarrassments, embarrassment and feelings of guilt. He thought it was better to run from the Lord than to confess his spiritual failure. And it's interesting to know that it was Jesus who sought to restore Peter back to himself. Because of the power of shame, Peter was held in a state of bondage and darkness. I think we underestimate as believers the power of shame in our own life. But Peter found comfort in his time of shame of returning to his old behavior. He returned to what was natural for him, what was easy for him, what he was accustomed to. And the same is true for you and I. It's our natural tendency to coil back after we have failed in our spiritual life and to hide under the rock of our former lifestyle and a former mindset and a former behavior, returning to old habits and to old friends. You see, after we sense our own failure and shame, we have a tendency to coil back because of feelings of unworthiness. Our problem during times of failure is our own personal feelings of shame that drive us away from the Lord. I can't tell you the times in my own personal spiritual failures, times where I haven't trusted God like I should or haven't made a decision based on the word of God or I've made a decision personally myself instead of waiting on God. I can't tell you the times of my failure. I have, I have felt the need to resign and I never felt like walking up in a pulpit to preach the word of God. I, I never, because I felt totally unworthy, but I had to come to the place that, that I will fail, I will make mistakes, but but I must accept the fact that God's forgiveness is always extended to me and I must receive his forgiveness and forgive myself and go forward in my Christian life for God. If not, I'd have, I'd have stopped preaching a long time ago. You see, it's our tendency to want to run because we underestimate the power of shame. It's our tendency to want to run, to stay away, to become unplugged because of our own hidden feelings of unworthiness. You see, you know yourself more than anyone. You know your sin. You know your hidden selfishness. You know your secret sins. We know all about our unfaithfulness. We know about our feelings of shame. And we do what's natural. So many times we stay away. We remain neutral. We become inactive because we feel unworthy. The number one reason why people don't serve and work in the church many times is not an un unwillingness because they can't get past the feelings of, 
of past sins and shame. God is pursuing a loving, resurrected relationship with all of us, no matter how we've failed in the past. He loves and pursues us no matter what we've done. And so many times we feel, if we do step up to serve, that we're a hypocrite because we know that our past stands in accusation against us. And the devil, the Bible says, is the accuser of the brethren. And he dangles every skeleton in front of us to remind us, you're not worthy, but because of the blood of Jesus, because of the grace of God extended from the cross, you have been pronounced saved, clean, and capable to serve the Lord with all of your heart. He loves you. Amen. Jesus confronts Peter by piercing his shame, by asking him, Peter, do you love me more than these? He's looking at Peter. Peter's got fishing nets around him. He's got his fishing boat. He's got all of his fishing gear. He's got all of his fishing buddies. All of these things represent his former life. These areas that are comfortable for him. And Jesus says, do you love me more than all of these? Peter, do you love your former life? Do you love this place of comfort? Do you love this place of hiding out more than me? Jesus wants to love him. He wants Peter to love him with all of his heart. But Peter first had to move past his own feelings of shame and boldly embrace God's unconditional love. The second thought I want you to see is the second lesson that Jesus was trying to really hammer through, and that is an enduring love has to be established with loving motives. Notice what he says in verse 16. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord Peter said, I, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. Jesus is attempting to expose the true nature of Peter's heart. Peter, do you love me? What Jesus was doing was to give a total reorientation, a recommissioning to Peter. In our times of failure, he doesn't many times decide to put us on the shelf, but rather God chooses to correct what's broken in our life. And Jesus basically is getting at the heart of the motive of Peter. Previously, Peter was proud of his brute strength. He was a tough guy. He was proud of his brazen, outspoken, bold spirit. He was proud of how he took matters into his own hand. He was proud of the fact that he was a man's man, needing no one in life but himself. Peter became the leader of the pact. All the men looked to Peter. He was proud of his self-sufficiency and independence. But now... All of that is broken. Unable to sustain the pressure of temptation in the times of of the crucifixion of Jesus, he caved. 
His motive was to be the top dog, to be the dominant, preeminent one. He was the man. He loved being the man. That was his motive, being the leader of the pack. But he had the wrong motive. Jesus basically was telling Peter, abandon the reason why you do what you do and do what you need to do because you love me. You see, a Bible has a lot to say about our motives. A motive is the underlying reason for any action. Proverbs 16, 2 says, all a person's ways does seem pure to them at the time, but motives are weighed by the Lord. God is weighing my motive of preaching this morning. God is weighing the motive of the people taking care of nursery. God is weighing the motive of the hearts of people teaching your children this morning. He's weighing your motive why you do what you do. He's weighing the motives of the praise team as they sing praise to God. He weighs it all. You can't hide from the all-seeing eyes of God. Just quit. Just stop. Because the human heart is very deceitful, we can easily fool ourselves about our own motives. We can pretend that we're choosing certain actions for God or for the benefits of others or the church, when in reality we have selfish reasons why we do what we do. God is not fooled by our selfishness, and he is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart, Hebrews 4.12. You see, human beings can operate from a variety of motives, whether it's pride or anger, revenge, a sense of entitlement, or the desire for approval. All of these can be catalysts for our actions. For example, there are some wrong reasons why people serve the Lord, wrong motives that won't stand the test of time. You see, enduring love for God really depends on the kind of motive that you have for serving him. Wrong motives will cut your enduring service short. Legalism, some people may try to serve God in hopes that this will either earn them merit with God or help keep them saved or working out their own salvation. Some have false guilt. They have a failure to trust God. They refuse to receive the charity of God's mercy and grace extended to them and their self-made people and say, I wanna, I wanna work my own way. I, I, wanna, I wanna work out my own forgiveness. And they reject God's blood of forgiveness and they try to work out their salvation in works of penance. Some have the motive of self-seeking. They want financial gain or preeminence or power, self-elevation. All of these things may, may elevate them to serve God. And obviously, they're only serving their own selfish desires. Paul talked about that, that there are many pastors and preachers who preach with the wrong motive. Some were preaching for the purpose of hurting other pastors and other ministries and other churches. And Paul said, well, thanks God, thank God, at least they're preaching the gospel. We'll leave it at that. We can serve the Lord with impure motives. God is not impressed. Jesus spoke about that Matthew, in Matthew 6, 1. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward in heaven. So what is the right motivation? What was Jesus trying to teach Peter? 
1 Thessalonians 2, 4 says, Our purpose is to serve out of a heart of love and a strong desire to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our heart. God is interested in our motives more than he is our actions. Jesus, when he comes again, he will bring to light that which is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. And at that time, each will receive his praise from God. Jesus was trying to tell Peter, Peter, I'm getting ready to use you. I'm about ready to launch you into real authentic ministry. But before you do, you've got to have the right motive. This is not about you muscling up. This is not about you overpowering people with your obnoxious personality. This is not about lording over the Lord's sheep. This is all about being a leader that is impacting people because you have a personal relationship with me that you do everything in your life out of a love and a passion for Jesus Christ. If we could go to heaven this morning, which I wish we could, Because if we could just peer into heaven this morning, we would see the people of God are obsessed about Jesus. They would see him high and lifted up. They would see him in all of his Shekinah glory. They would see him in his blazing holiness. And the people of heaven cannot do enough to serve him in the eternal city of God. And they are busy as bees doing what they can to please him and to honor him because they are obsessed with the glory and the beauty of Jesus Christ. They have seen him in the sanctuary of the saints. And he is high and lifted up just like Isaiah saw him. With his train in the temple, the smoke that filled the temple, the people were in awe of the glory and the beauty of Jesus. And when you get to heaven, you're going to get caught up with that contagious spirit of working and pleasing and praising the one who died on the cross, who redeemed us from our sins and brought brought us to the shores of heaven that we might be connected to him in all praise and all glory and all might. And we that are here living by faith, we cannot see him. We can read about him and we can see him through the eye of faith. But through the holy scriptures and through the wonderful pages of the word of God, our hearts are stirred because we love him. And whatever we do in the church of Jesus Christ, in this little window of time that we have, whatever we do, do it mightily as unto the Lord. Serve him with all of your heart. Do it because you love him. You don't do it for a preacher. You don't do it for a committee. You don't do it just because there's a need. It's not a job. It's not something to do. You do it because you love the the one that sits high in the temple upon his throne. You love him. Jesus said, Peter, before... You become the first pastor of the church of Jerusalem. I got to make sure that you love me. And then thirdly, in closing, growing love has to be nurtured with the spirit of humility and meekness. Wow. Look at verse 17. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, now watch this, Lord, you know everything. 
This was painful for Peter because Jesus was constantly reminding him of his three public denials before his crucifixion. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Publicly, he denied the Lord three times. Now God is giving him a chance to reverse his failure and to come back three times to publicly confess in front of the other disciples that he loved the Lord. It's interesting how Peter responds. He said, Lord, you know everything. What a radical difference. Now Peter recognizes God's power and his all-seeing eyes and all of his sovereignty, and he humbly submits to the lordship of Christ. Instead of challenging the Lord's instructions and warnings, we now see a healthy new fear of God in Peter. Now that you've been forgiven and humbled and filled with grace, will you serve as a pastor Peter in the first church of Jerusalem? 1 John 3.16 says, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life so that we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Now Peter, instead of being filled with self-will and confidence, Jesus had to pray for Peter that he would walk in humility and grace. I hate to admit it, but pride is a common ministry motivation. Even Jesus' disciples were caught up with the issue of pride. They were arguing about who was going to be greatest in the kingdom of God. We like the feelings of self-importance and influence and power and the admiration from others. We love the applause of people or the recognition of people recognizing our acts of service. In fact, the original Greek term, verb for humility, is a picture of someone making themselves very small. The English word for humility comes from a Latin word that also means ground. And it's fair to say that some Christians seem to be more grounded than others. Christians who are know-it-alls and who boast on their own power or the boast on their own spiritual perceptions are an embarrassment to Christ and an offense to, the, to Christ and the church. The Bible says, do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not for only for his own interest, but also the interest of others. Peter radically changed. Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter responded properly. He said, you know everything. I'm walking in humility. The longer I serve the Lord, the more I realize the only way I can grow in my Christian faith is to humbly Keep falling at his feet, begging for his power, his wisdom, his grace, and strength. Because I can't do a thing without his presence in my life. I can't. I've had a lot of nice accolades said to me. I remember Dr. Robertson used to tell us, don't take praise seriously and don't take criticism seriously. Stay focused and do what God's called you to do. I've had people tell me wonderful, and I appreciate that. And that doesn't mean you have to stop. No, I'm teasing. But I realize, I know in my heart, 
If it wasn't for the grace of God, and if it wasn't for the power of God, the wisdom of God, the might of God, I wouldn't even be standing here today because he holds my breath in the palm of his hands. Three resurrected lessons. Jesus looked at Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? That was an agape love. That's a... Do you love me enough to sacrifice your life? Peter says, oh, Lord, you know I love you. In other words, yeah, I like you. He asked him the second time, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me in an agape? Do you love me in a way that you're willing to give everything for me? He goes, yeah, you know I phileo, love you. I love you like a friend. If my wife pulls me aside this afternoon and says, Tim, do you love me? I said, sure, I like you. Man, would I get a kick. That won't work. She don't want to hear like. That was what Jesus was looking for. Jesus is saying, do you love me? Are you willing to pour yourself out like melted wax? Are you willing to sacrifice for me? Are you willing to give your life for me? Finally, Peter did just that before Peter died. And he died, as the historians say, crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified upright like Jesus. Peter wrote the book of 1 Peter and 2 Peter. And Peter wrote this, take care of the flock of God. Love them. Because that was the first instruction that Jesus gave him. Peter, if you love me, you pour your life out, and you'll serve me. This Valentine's Day, there's a lot about love. God's looking over the balcony of heaven. We're pretty much bankrupt people when it comes to love. The only way that you truly can be a powerhouse of love is to open your heart to God and to love him. Love him. Embrace him. And then Jesus will look at you if you love me. Serve me. Because that's what they're doing there. Start now. Start now. Let's pray.